Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical martial arts instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. This is episode 174 of the show, and it's Tuesday, December the 5th, 2023, as I record this, earlier than usual, because I am off to Portugal first thing tomorrow, and I figured I didn't want to have to figure out a way to record the intro when I'm actually there. Um, I am going to Portugal to attend the Panoplia Iberica, which is actually going to be in Alconchel in Spain, just across the border, uh, but Lisbon is the closest major airport. I'll be teaching two classes there, a lecture on how to make a living as a historical martial arts instructor and a rapier class on using the dagger in the offhand. And funnily enough, it'll be the first time I have taught a session on making a living as a historical martial arts instructor, but I've even prepared like a PowerPoint presentation that has four whole slides basically laying out the structure of a historical martial arts business and making distinctions between things like passive income and active income and scalable products and not scalable products and the difference between reach and platform and all that sort of thing. So it should be totally good fun and I will probably write it up as a blog post at some point. Um, of course, I'll let you know here if that happens. Now, the really exciting news this week is that the secret project that Katie McKenzie, my assistant to you, may recall from episode 153 of the show, um, she and I have been working on this idea. It was actually her idea initially, and she's done all of the graphic design work for it. We have created the Sword School Year Planner, which is a planner, um, sort of a combination of calendar, diary, and reflection opportunity. Um, which has sections for planning your days, laying out your training focus for months and quarters and reflecting on how things have gone. And it is, it is a glorious thing, um, which owes a little bit to my ideas about how you should plan stuff and an awful lot to Katie's initial idea and Katie's excellent graphic design stuff. So if you'd like to have a look at that, um, it's at swordschool.shop. And it's right there on the main page, so no need to worry about subdomains and whatnot. So swordschool.shop. Um, at this point, I can't guarantee you'd get a print version before Christmas. Um, but we do have the print at home PDF, which is pretty much instantaneously delivered. If you're very keen to get started absolutely before January or it's a present for someone, that would be the best option. Um, but it's also worth remembering that the best day to train is always today and the best way to plan your training may well be with this gorgeous planner, but certainly the best time to plan your training is now. Shall I read you the blurb? Yes, I think I'll read you the blurb. Plan your training like a pro. With this beautiful full color planner, you can set goals, plan your training and review your progress. Aspire to mastery of the art of arms and craft a lifestyle that will lead you towards it. From daily training goals to annual events, this planner works from the specific details of daily life to the overall theme of your year. Connect with like-minded enthusiasts on swordpeople.com and share your progress with the tag hash planner. Design your days, map out the year, create monthly themes and reflect with quarterly reviews. Embark on a transformative journey using the Sword School Training Year Planner to tailor your approach. 
And anyone who's ever published a book knows that the absolute hardest thing to do is to write the blurb. So I hope you enjoyed that. It's a gorgeous thing and I hope you enjoy it. That's swordschool.shop for the Sword School Year Planner. Now, without further ado, on with the interview. Uh, I'm here today with, oh, I should probably check. How do I pronounce your surname? <clears throat> Good luck to you. Uh, Wagenfeld, but my brother lives Wachenfeld. in the UK and okay. he goes by Wagenfeld. So like Loch, Wach. Wagenfeld. Yeah. But you can I can say manage that. <laughs> I'm here today with David Wagenfeld who is a fencing coach, creator of the on-guard model for teaching fencing in schools, and the co-founder of Table Mountain Fencing and Historical European Martial Arts with Michael Beardwood in Fishhook, South Australia. Uh, did I say South Australia? Oh my God, I can't read. Sorry, it's early in the morning, sort of. <laughs> South Africa. And actually, you are my very first guest from South Africa, so why I said South Australia, I cannot explain. Anyway, welcome to the show, David. Uh, thank you, Guy. Uh, so, whereabouts in the world are you? I did say South Africa, definitely not South Australia. Whereabouts in South Africa are you? Yeah, South Africa is a big place. Um, I'm in uh, Cape Town, uh, more specifically a suburb called Lakeside, which is near Musenberg. So, sort of uh, near the peninsula as it gets towards False Bay. Lovely. And that's on the coast, right? It, I'm, I live right next to a wetland, which is right next to the, the bay. Yeah, so it's uh, on the coast, yes. I, I haven't been to Cape Town since about 1983, so it's, been. it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I used to live in Botswana in the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so um, I've been to South Africa many times. Uh, but when I was very young, I haven't been back since, since about 1986. So it's been a while. Um, make do something about that. <laughs> well, um, yes, I'm always happy to to, to go back. Um, so, how did you get into fencing? How did that all start? Hmm. Um, it's just something I've always wanted to do. I grew up in my my grandmother's house, and my her. Yeah, my great-grandfather was uh, an officer um, uh, in the Zulu War and the Boer War and World War One, and he had a, a sword. And I grew up with that um, at, at, at her house. Um, and then I just just loved the whole, uh, yeah, the, the romance of swords and that world. And, uh, and when I was little, um, yeah, I used to just fantasize being a knight, uh, sort of a... We didn't have, you know, South African TV only came quite late, 75, 76. Um, but before that, films and books. And I was just really into swords. I used to dress up as a knight or as a Roman legionnaire and just run around um, the neighborhood dressed up like that. Um, it was very funny uh, a few years ago meeting up with an old neighbor. And she remembered me as a little boy running around with armor with a, a dustbin lid and a, um, a sieve as a, as a mask. And here I was, hey, well, this is actually what I do. So she was <laughs> in a more civilized form. So it, it was, uh, yeah, it was funny for her. And, and then I got a book. I think I was a teenager. And I thought, well, learn from the book. And I would go around 
challenging people with uh, duels with rulers. Uh, thank you for my for protection my hand. And at school that I went to, we didn't do fencing. And then a university, the University of Cape Town. That's when I took it up properly. Um, yeah, so that's the that's where the journey started at university. Do you know, it's it, it, most adult historical martial artists, I think, um, are basically kids who just never stopped playing with swords. It's like all kids start, yep. and some of us just don't stop. Um, uh-uh. And yeah, I, I can I can certainly sympathise with the, the dustbin lid and, and the ruler, but the sieve as a mask—that's a new one for me. <laughs> Great idea. Quite. <laughs> Maybe not to FIE FIE standard, but but, but yeah, you may, you may do with what you've got, right? Hardly. <laughs> no, it's just, um, just something I always wanted to do, and um, you know that's how I started. But there's a long journey thereafter. It's over 40 years now that I've been doing the sport now. Well, actually, it is nice nice to meet somebody who has a sort of similar longevity in in fencing. I started fencing when I went to Oakham in 1987. So, you know, I've just been doing it just about long enough to start to have some vague idea how it actually works. (laughs) Um, But I need to ask you, what happened when you went to Amsterdam? Okay, yeah, so... That was another leg of my journey. Um, I was in the hospitality industry, and I just got—I was just really st- stuck. So after university, I didn't finish full time. I ran out of money, um, so I went correspondence, and then I was I went as a chef, as a chef, um, and then front office, and I just got really stuck and frustrated. And I was doing coaching on the side at schools, and then in '95 I went to Holland, beginning of the year. To go to the as a help managing at the World Championships within in in the Hague, and help the the team, and then after I stay I just stayed I had opportunities to stay behind in, in Amsterdam, and I continued my I was doing honours by then, uh, correspondence, and uh, I got stuck in oh, well, connected to a, a club I had a my, the first time had a really, really good master. I went to the vision, I love Sabre. Sabre's my, my, my favorite. Uh, I'm a short <clears throat> person <laughs> and, uh, and a good balance. I'm, I'm well connected to the ground. Epe is my least, but I went over in the idea that you know, I'm going to really get into Sabre like properly. Um, mm-hmm. So I connected with a club uh, near the Olympic um, uh, Buert neighborhood. And uh, and then I was already too old. It's just it's just so far. Saber Olympic sports saber is for twenty year olds, <laughs> unless you post a when you're in your thirties. It's 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 fast. But I still loved it. Um, and I was most competitive in Epe. And uh, and guy, I can relate a lot to footwork. I manage because I move. <laughs> I don't stand still. Yes. And and uh, and I'm, I'm I manage. I cope. I did a lot of epe, and then I apprenticed myself basically to a coach in Holland, uh, and he had an academy called Angard, Angada, and that's where my name comes from. I, I, I learned a lot from him. For two years, I didn't get paid anything. I just just soaked up. I just enjoyed that being to going to schools, going to clubs, and just just 
being immersing myself in that world. And I had two other mentors. I would go to the clubs and go on outings and, and competitions. And I was just fencing every day of the week. And it was, I was in absolute heaven. Uh, I, I just, this, I, and this, this is my life. I was so stuck in competition organizing and coaching and, and at a really low level. And I just couldn't get, get my way out of it. And, and I said, no, I want to, do, I want to be a coach. I want to do full time fencing. It's just, I just loved it. I felt that I, this is what I was born to do. It was, it's, it's my mission. Um, something about it said, this is what I'm here to do. Um, yeah, so that's how I ended up in Amsterdam and, uh, what I did. Um, and I kept doing my honors while doing that and doing some work. And I'm half Dutch. My father is Dutch. And, uh, but I, I wasn't, yeah, he anglicized. And the other half is the African mixture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> English, Irish, Scots, um, and half Dutch. And that's how I could stay in Holland. Um, yeah, and, and that was my vision. And while I was there, I'm going to soak up information, learn, um, and transfer that model to South Africa. But South Africa is not Europe. <laughs> I had a, a, a vision, which is very European. Um, and yet I created, when I came back, created a business. I created my life. I created my job. There was nothing like it. It's common so, where you So are. you came back. Yeah, well, so you came back to South Africa to basically start your career as a professional fencing coach. Yeah. So you just said that South Africa is not like Europe. Now, I understand what you mean because I've been there, um, although not recently. Um, but what difference do you see between um, how things work in South Africa regarding setting up a fencing school versus how they would work in, for example, Amsterdam? Yeah, what's the difference? What's the difference? Um, yeah, I've a lot of my life been fantasy orientated, both in the, the healthy stuff, but also just not not feet in the ground. And um, I think the you know the, it's here. You might have heard something about rugby, <laughs> but we are very yeah. rugby orientated and cricket. We're outdoors, so that's one yeah. of the things. We're very outdoor sport orientated here in Cape Town. You might have heard of the beach and the waves, and the, it's a good outdoor outdoor life. So the indoor sports and the Olympic sports don't do that well, except maybe swimming and athletics. And so that's one of the big changes, specifically in fencing, is that. Uh, uh, the struggles with the, the, the indoor versus outdoor sports, um, and also the culture. Um, you know, I'm I'm African, but I'm also European, and uh, just that different mindset. Um, the, the countries that've done well in fencing have a long tradition. Uh, Italian, <laughs> some of us to Fiori, and thereafter, and uh, German, Hungarian. Um, have very Although strong the, the Americans, the Americans do very well these days. Now, and they, yes. yeah, they do now. But yes, it took them a while, it, uh, but yeah. now they do very well. Damn them! Now they do well. <laughs> also, the Chinese, the Chinese as well, um, the South Koreans, yeah, yeah. Japanese. But exactly, it's changed a lot. It's uh, fencing, sports fencing, has become sure, much like, more of a worldwide sport. Yeah, in the last thirty years years ago, yeah, thirty years ago, and in the twentieth century, it was. Sort of Russians and Europeans mostly. Correct, um, yeah. The Americans, um, I think, in the last uh, the last two Olympics, they've won more Olympics in the last few Olympics than they ever had in the entire history. Yeah. Um, they just had a few up until '92, and now they get, they're doing well. Partly because of the imported, you know, the, the 
Russian, Hungarians, uh, uh, Polish influences. Yep. Yeah, so sort of my vision, the, the on guard, sort of in having a network of schools with a squad or an academy in the middle. Uh, I've been on tours to the UK in 2004, with one of the private schools that I work for, and I've done that circuit. And what I do is, you know, it's, it's not common, but it's, it's, it's there a lot, a lot. having okay. uh, your feeders and then a center, which is basically what, so uh, could you what just, I created, yeah. Yeah, could you just describe the actual structure of of the on guard thing and what um, what you mean by um, the feeders and the centre and everything? Because again, the average listener probably doesn't. I mean, I'm, I have a fairly good idea because I used to run a historical martial arts school and similar sort of structures evolved. But I think the average listener may not quite understand what you're saying. Yeah, um, essentially, uh, to this this is based on numbers a lot of young people having fun um and not taking it too too seriously um yeah so when in holland um he wasn't a fort my mentor there was in a fortunate position of being paid by the council to have outreach programs to schools so it was mm-hmm. going to the place where the students were um and from that um he would then get club members um, that would be slightly more serious. And from that, you would have the squad. So every day of the week, there would be a different school uh, or different schools, uh, different age groups. So they're separated. So they're, you know, enjoying uh, that team is very important of a similar um, age. And then the people that really want to do well have a, a, a later afternoon session and weekends and they uh, work together as a, a squad and as a team, and then go to competitions together as a team. So it's it's a combination of an individual sport and a team, where you it's trying to get that uh, training ethic that we help each other, but also the individual element is very important uh, for um, uh, for high performance for high, perfor- high performance purposes. Sure. So okay, we need so numbers just- to make it work. Yeah, so just the, if I just recap that, make sure I've understood. So basically, um, lots of, um, like high schools, for example, have a fencing club, which you or one of your coaches goes to. And that's fairly low intensity, fun for the kids. And the kids who start taking it seriously come and join the club itself and get extra training. And then from that club, you then train up a squad that turns into your, your fencing teams in various age groups, various weapons and so on. Is that about yes. right? Yes, yeah, that okay. Be, that That's a good way to do it. So you, you have a, a, light, a nice broad base of lots and lots of students who are just having fun. And from that group, the, the more serious ones get selected or select themselves into the club and from there into the squad. That's a good idea. Hmm. Correct. Good way to do no, it. That's, how, that's what we do. Okay, so how do you solve the equipment problem? Because if there was no fencing in South Africa hmm. before this, there's not a lot of fencing masks and foils and jackets and stuff going around. And I know yeah. what it's like trying to get equipment. Because back in the early um, days of running my school, that was the biggest problem that we had, is we couldn't get swords in reasonable quantities at a reasonable quality for a reasonable price. Now, of course, that problem's been solved by various suppliers in Europe and elsewhere. But this is the 90s in South Africa. How did you solve the equipment problem? Equipment, uh-huh. you, you hit the nail, yeah. Um, yes, we do not have shops. We don't have the 
suppliers like Leon Paul. I've been an agent for Leon Paul for a long time. How do you supply? Well, I started by um, by being sold at very uh, cheap rates from the, from my mentors in Holland. Mm-hmm. I posted parcels of a lot of masks together. Um, either a lot of things were donated to me or I had to sold this big vision and so I got things cheaply um, and and given that's how I started um, before COVID I would have in all these masks and all these jackets and I do have a, my approach is very broad I have all this equipment beginning was very difficult um, and in the different age and I have to have small you know for like I coach from six years up to adult so I have to have all the different sizes <laughs> yeah. and balls, epas, and sabers, and electrics yeah. and jackets and plastrons and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So it's taken, I've been doing this between, I started in 99. Um, before COVID, we would share. And then COVID happened, you can't uh, share masks. And after people have been telling you for years and years and years, let them blinking buy the stuff. Um, yes. Stop, subsidi- subs- stop subsidizing everyone. Uh, I'm a sucker for punishment, and that's what I do now. They they lease until they get. I also get from China more. I haven't ordered from Leon Paul now for two years. Um, I had a very, very good squad, very good team. At one stage, I'd, of the top eight men's foilists, five of them were my students or ex-students in the in the guys. It was good, and um, you know, I was preparing for Olympics. I was for the Olympic teams. I was. Um, national Sabre coach uh, last, I've stopped that now 2016 I was the Commonwealth <laughs> your people over here in Cape Town, held at UCT University of Cape Town and I was the Sabre coach and um, I like hitting people and I like going fast I don't have much patience <laughs> and and it was it was fun but that was the end of that road the end of that journey and yeah so that's a I, I digress. <laughs> uh, and uh, But equipment is much less of a problem now. Uh, there's a new phase in my life now. Now it's about mentoring. I've got three assistants, three people I'm mentoring, uh, two students and one guy is a good, he's qualified. And I've got the equipment now. And now it's to have the financial model to sustain it uh, okay. and not just give away and get broken. It's taken 20 years to build up to this level. Um, yeah, so... I'm in a very good position to have to help people and to so to, 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 to I've created something which I didn't have. There was nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, okay, so Cam, could you could you just clarify? Because now um, you've basically retired from from most of the really active coaching. Uh, you have a few kind of personal students, and you said something about leasing equipment or whatever. So how how does all of that work? Yeah, so they, they form a, for somebody that joins for the first time, we have an introduction mm-hmm. quarter um, term. And for that term, they don't have to rent it, but they pay a deposit. So they, they, so the parents sign all the adults, send a, a complete a online lease form, and mm-hmm. uh, they pay a deposit for that. And that also motivates people to get their own fairly soon. So that in, sure. after that quarter, they don't have they have to pay a, a rental. So so rather get their own. Okay. And I'm sunny, so we started a shop now. There's a lot happened. COVID's been a really shitty situation. We've changed around a lot. 
uh, in all sorts of levels. Um, okay, so that's, that's a good. So basically, in the first term, they can borrow gear and it's free. But if they want to keep borrowing gear after that, they actually have to rent it. That's a really good idea. Correct. I hadn't thought of that. That's what we do. Uh, um, I had a different is- system in in my school. Um, yeah. When students bought masks and swords and whatnot, they could store them in the cell. Uh, but if the equipment was dusty or rusty, it got moved on to the beginner's rack and anybody could use it. But of course, they could come back and reclaim their gear anytime. But because so many people left their swords and masks and, I don't know, disappeared for six months or whatever, within a year or so, we could equip a 20-person beginner's course with masks and swords that that were <laughs> that were left behind. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But you have to pay for, but you have to have the lockers. We also, we had a, we use a scout hall as our permanent venue. Now, ah, okay. I used to have all so these. You, you can't just leave the swords on the walls, yeah? Not really, no. So that is yeah. your last question. <laughs> what would you do getting there? So we, so this has happened. We've got a cupboard, a big, big cupboard. Uh, and we have uh, a shop in one part and all the other stuff in the other. And we've got big trunks with swords and stuff. And shields, we've got big cut shields and all sorts of things. You've got stars, all in the scout hall, fighting the space with the with, with the, the church. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's it is a it's a tricky thing. Um, okay, so slight left turn. Um, tell me about young Leonardo. Ah, did you look at it? <laughs> I I also yeah one of my things is I remember this as a little person uh, I love stories and uh, having little stories I remember used to do radio theater you know in big tapes with big tapes and uh, I lived in Simonstown which you know, if you know it's a, it's a naval base right up against the mountain and right on what we call a bundu which is, this is a Botswana <laughs> uh, the mountain and I grew up stick fighting and I used to love these little plays where we would have uh, staves and sticks and shields and whatever. The little plays were local kids as a child. And I remember at school, high school, um, we did Macbeth. And I remember enjoying that, uh, I think, when the family got Macduff gets, gets killed, the, the kids get, the son gets killed, the wife gets killed. Doing that, we choreographed that. I was, what, was 15 or so. And then in about 2001, one of the parents of one of my students in Fishhook, uh, it is Amdram Society, and they were doing the play um, uh, Complete Works of William Shakespeare Bridged. And oh, yeah. I choreographed uh, three fight scenes. And that was the beginning, and, and they did it at a professional uh, theater as well. And that was a lot of fun. That was an inc- have, you, have you seen it, Guy? Really- I have not seen it. I've not seen it yet. But we'll, send, send me a link where we can find it, and I'll put it in the show notes so people I'll can watch. Look. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's yeah, it's an enjoyable play. But anyway, so a few years later, I was invited to um, choreograph uh, and train actors uh, for TV series uh, The Young Leonardo. It's a BBC children's production. I had it all had it on the computer and I had a computer disaster about 10 years ago and I lost all of it. It's not easy to find. And there's one episode which was based on a duel. Um, and one of my young students, 10 year old, actually got a starring extra in that. 
and it was all about uh, this bully, um, yeah, uh, swashbuckler really, uh, bully swagger, would, would bully people to in, into challenging to a duel, and then he would steal money. And he he humiliated this young boy, beginning, and the whole story was about how he got his cup uppance. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that was it was that was a yeah that was fun. And that was uh, Cape Town's film industry has grown a lot. That was I think 2012, um, and, and I did. There were three episodes, but that was that was all about uh, a duel. There's a lot, and uh, I do that. I, I knew the shorthand. I did that, but the film industry. Yeah, I do do productions occasionally. It's um, very last minute, as, uh, and you must just drop everything. You might have heard this. <laughs> you must just drop everything. And uh, your life doesn't exist. And even ten o'clock, they want something the next day. Um, yeah. Ten o'clock at night, that's happened before, and they want something the next day. And I've got to train actors. And Blood Drive, I've been involved in. Uh, this is a short scene again. British actors. That was to train an actor, and then work with the stunt coordinator uh, to work in a perfectly safe thing. And it's one of the things that, yeah, that I really enjoy is. Uh, the creativity, creativity aspect, and uh, it is fun, but it is a very, very different industry. And it's very you've different. You've had yeah, Kirby on it, and it's like these people that I look up to. I look at their films. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had quite a few fight directors on, um, and yeah, it is. It's it's a related skill set, but it is a different skill set. Very different. Um, and uh, I do it with my kids as well. All right, I'm so doing it now. I start this week, the end of this week. So What's the show? We, 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 well, it's not actually a show. It's um, we have a very broad approach. It's been broader now that sort of um, um because of my HEMA relationships. Um, and uh, the end of the year, uh, so our academic year is the same as the calendar year. So we're all in a bit of a zombie state. Um, so yeah, so I do HEMA with them three weeks, very quickly. Uh, based on my first team book, which is proper book, was yours. Your All right, which one? Companion, which I've got here. <laughs> oh my God, that is so out of date. You can't base anything on that. It's so out of date. <laughs> please, please, <laughs> upgrade. I will send you. I will send you the 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 updated version, the, the medieval longsword, and base anything you like on that. But but okay, good. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. So that was 2005, I think. Anyway, so I do a three-week mini course using larping swords. Uh, they're Chinese. I got a very sturdy plastic core with a foam around it, a, yeah. a Viking and a longsword one. And for three weeks we do this and. We finished that little competition called Death Row, which basically means, uh, it's, you know what a ladder challenge is? You know, there's a ladder, you have, it's uh, like the, yeah. like a ranking. Yeah, so they have the you have to challenge the, the person above you on the ladder and up you go. Yeah. Exactly. You have it in squash and tennis. So Death Row means you've only got one life. So you start the bottom two challenge, the person lives, challenge the person above them. And, and so you move up. And so that's what I've just finished now. And then now we do stage combat. So now I have two lessons of stage, very, very brief, how to do it safely. Eye contact, distance, communication. As a contrast to the competition, there's the exact opposite of yeah. 
competitive sport or competitive humor, the exact opposite. Uh, and that's a very good training tool for, for all of us, actually, but especially for competitive types. And they have, parallel to learning some of those skills, they've got to put on a little show for their parents in three oh, weeks' wow. time. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's a good idea. Practice. And code, we haven't done it. We haven't really had the, and now we're doing it again. And um, and I used to, when I had more time, I don't know what happened, uh, I used to put on, remember the things called DVDs and you make your own DVDs mm-hmm. and cut? I used to, <laughs> remember those? I remember uh, those. Remember those? Well, I would put them all together with intros and all the different clubs would have their own little show and I would put it all together and then give it to the parents. Not on that oh, scale anymore. But it is such fun, you know, and, and it is such a privilege to do what I've always dreamed of doing. You know? Yeah. Um, now, I, I have to circle back because um, you mentioned that one of your protégés is qualified, right? And I assume you mean qualified to coach. So I'm curious, yeah. what what coaching qualification system do you use? Yeah, so I've got a, well, I was an apprentice. I've got a two-year international certificate um, okay. part-time, and he's got a one-year. Who, who, so, who, issue, who issues that? Oh, he, uh, Ati. Yeah, so Ati's Sorry. got a one-year. One year. No, hang on. Who, who, who issues the who issues the certificate? Oh, FIE, the International Fencing. Oh, the FIE. Okay. Yeah, FIE. Yeah. Okay. Have yeah. you done any work with the British Academy of Fencing? They um, have no, the best. Co- they have the best coaches teaching program I've ever come across. I thoroughly recommend do. it. I'm on their website a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, not- I did a week long. Um, sort of training the coaches intensive course for them in I think 2010 and it was a game changer for my ability to teach it's a fat so I would totally recommend if you get the chance to send some of your protégés onto that course I think they run them twice a year and it's basically a week of being very very uncomfortable <laughs> for you know finding out just how crap you are at teaching foil well, well, well quite <laughs> so. there ha- we have um one of the guys has been heavily involved. Um, also, the dad of one of my students became a fencer himself. He thought mm-hmm. and became an admin, became a team manager. He started his own club. He was my student, and then he created his own club. And he's well connected to the British uh, Academy of Fencing. And we have had some courses done online. Um, and we go because South African fencing had very strong links with the British system. My first coach right. was, was brought up in that, which is classic f- French. Um, mm. And the founders of South African fencing, besides the Dutch from the, in the 19, end of the 19th century, you know, transfer, yeah, the first, the Nederlands of Fechters Bund or something, um, well, it was in, um, in Transvaal. But um, the British fencing has had a big influence. Uh, my, mm. my mentors were, the first mentors were British, uh, had, ah. uh, the British system. And then Holland was very different, and I was at Russian. My, my, <laughs> uh, my, my certificate was through uh, FIE through Russian, yeah. Okay. Um, interesting. So uh, when did the whole historical martial arts thing sort of come about for you? Because I know you're also teaching... Mm-hmm. historical martial arts of some kind so what are you teaching historically and how did that all 
come about? How did you end up adding that to your your sport fencing? Well, it was if I was there in your age, I probably would have done him <laughs> first. Yeah. But uh, how did it happen? We fell into it. Um, uh, what was it? I think I, uh, when I was in Holland, um, I did see uh, a promotion uh, for a. Um, yeah, a, a, a fun, a, a, yeah, what you call it, a, a fair um, called mm-hmm. the Hedland van Oit, which basically means Never Never Land. Um, right. And they would do these knights, knights in shining armor, the, the red knight and black knight and green and yellow, I think. And in the middle of Amsterdam, they had this sort of show. I said, well, there is actually such a thing as this. And then I was registered with University of Amsterdam and uh, uh, internet res- uh, research, and I came across, SCA. Headland for it actually, the other side had an accident when actually in one of the public duels one night killed the other, actually. Oh. <laughs> it closed down in 2007. Anyway, my first yeah, encounter was in Holland. So, so are you saying that one of, the, one of the performers was actually killed on stage? Uh, yeah. It, was, it Jesus. closed down to Headland van Oit. Just look it up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Actually died, yeah. Um, I did actually do some reading and I said, actually, yeah, that it did actually happen. It wasn't just what I remembered hearing back then, but actually, mm. it did actually happen. Um, it's just okay, so, so the grounds around the castle became a thing, yeah. Anyway, so, so, so their, their, their demonstrations gave you the idea that historical martial arts existed, and so you It was something that is, that is there. Uh, yeah. when I came, and then I got some SEA, I looked, did some research in SEA, when I came back, I did some other research. And I got in contact with somebody I knew for fencing who did um, rapier. He was a rapier, I think, I think the marshal, I think the rapier person. And um, he came to our club at that time. We started about 2002. So I first saw rapier. And the very wobbly, Casaberia wobble, wobbly type, <laughs> yeah, which I, I have those. now. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> and the book, uh, the William Wilson book, uh, he introduced me to that. Oh yeah. Ah, because that I thought, oh, I, I know Epa. I can do it. Just a little bit bigger, a bit yeah. heavier. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, quite. So that was the first introduction, and then a few years. So we did it on and off using Epe's. Also, uh, have you heard of Point Direct? Point the yeah, of course. Point. horrible. Three point with the little wax thing that you yeah. poke into somebody. The old well, it's, it sticks on the jacket, so the yes. point doesn't slip. They're great. Yes, lovely stuff. Sticks into yeah. the jacket. Um, anyway, so made sort of Spanish style rapiers with these little things. Now, that'll be quite nice. Didn't really work. Um, dangerous for one, <laughs> and secondly, yeah. still epics. But with nice big quillions and like this. Yeah, um, it was fun. Uh, shortly after, I found your uh, again. Internet is happening. Found your book. I'd seen the the Clemens book. I got those Shh, nowadays. But yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Honestly, back when they came out, they were the only books, and so they, they were, were by definition the best books. But they were very absolutely. quickly superseded by books that were a lot better. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was it. And then, so yeah. So just. Growing fascination, and then about 2005, your swordsman companion came out. 
That was 2004 it came out, June yeah, 2004. I think I saw it about a year later. Yeah. I think about year yeah. So that was when we started like properly, long sword. And of course, back in the day, there was no training equipment. We used uh, another guy in Cape Town, Martin Bas- or Martin Bassane. Have you come across him at all? He's now in New Zealand. Yes, I know Martin. Bassane. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So he was one of our early influences, and I bought that wall hanger behind me. That's That's from him. I okay. bought a couple of his things, and he was one of the first people in Cape Town that did some sort of, um, and he did some workshops, and then also in Selenbosch, they also started doing um, HEMA, um, and I also started using this book for kids and for adults, but it was very haphazard. Um, and then I think about 2007, uh, Colin Richards visited South Africa. Now, the, mm-hmm. the driver of HEMA in South Africa at the time was... Um, what, He's still around, very much James Roberts in Pretoria. His club is... Have you met him before? No, we don't that. No, he's been around, he's travelled, he had the funds to travel, he has published articles. Um, he's an academic, um, so it makes it easier. And um, yeah, so we used to practice with Shinai, with rulers of the cross guard stuck together. Horrible things. Like, remember, oh no, I remember <laughs> with, those... Ruler guards with yeah. uh, silicone paste between with duct tape, yeah. and when rulers broke, just put more rulers on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> memories. The We've youth of today have of no idea how lucky they are. They can just buy a decent well, training sword off the internet like that. It is, you know, yeah, they have no idea. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we still got them for for time more. We haven't ever used them recently, in the last ten years. No. And then in. 2012, I went for my, had a 50th, I'm 60 now, I think 61 soon. I uh, went to, uh, oh, I had a six weeks sabbatical. I went to, and I'd ordered things uh, from cold, cold steel. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> the big, those big black um, clubs. You know the things I'm talking about? Those big. Uh, yeah, the wasters. Yes, yes. Uh, and I said, oh, this is our, so this is our first with an edge. And then I soon got it, oh, 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 oh. And I've seen videos of people using it. Oh, my goodness. So um, these are the type of things we used. Um, one of the <laughs> I have some friends and talking about what I said, African fencing is like this. We have to really improvise. Uh, and now we import, you know, um, a lot of stuff. But in those days, I remember at Max had all sort of piping and poles and this and that to make some sort of sword. Um, yeah, now we use um, Dave Rawlings' fame, uh, Red Dragon plastic. I know it's not your favorite, but um, no. no. <laughs> but it's what we can do. You know, we, we don't sure. have the resources. We are really <laughs> financially tight, and and we do what sure. we can do, um, and we do have you know some feeders, but those are personal equipment. Uh, we don't have club feeders, feeders, um, but we have club yeah. um, uh, raw, um, red dragon um, arming basket or longsword. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and now and honestly, uh, even now. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say, the, um, you know, a longsword-shaped object 
is an awful lot better than nothing, right? As long as it doesn't splinter dangerously or, you know, have sharp edges where you're not expecting them or anything like that, it's a lot better than nothing. And, uh, like, I, I can sympathize with the difficulty of getting weapons into South Africa because lots of the clubs that I've worked with worldwide have similar import problems. And like the best solution is for somebody local to start producing decent quality training swords. But that's a, it's, it's very, very difficult to make a living making swords. So, you know, there's no, there's no real prospect of that occurring. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation to be in. So use, you know, you use what you can get your hands on and, you know, wait for things to get better. Exactly. We, um, we, we so, do have someone in Johannesburg that does make what he would call feeders, but really they are crowbarish. Yeah. <laughs> too, it is very difficult duty. to make, yeah, it's difficult to make a good handling, properly weighted, you know, nimble sword that is also robust. Because the easiest way to make it more robust is to add more metal, and that makes it handle badly. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. So, um, what do you think the most useful lesson you've learned from sport fencing uh, that you can apply to his- historical martial arts? What is what is the most useful crossover, do you think? Yeah, there, there are so many things. Um, when we started... Um, Formerly having HEMA as part of this it's an unusual at a club where we've got a fencing group and a HEMA group in one club, two different groups yeah. in one club. Um, we now have an ins- a guy, a dedicated instructor. When we started, we say you must do fencing and you must do this so you get flavors, really quite very prescriptive. Why? Um, why do I think fencing has helped me so much understanding Hema? And also, I understand more thanks to Hema, especially some of the things you've said, Gay, with your your grounding. Um, specific lessons, footwork. Lots of the people that have come into Hema that I've seen that, oh, it's cool, it's sword, and it's easy, and you just whack the swords around. And no, from fencing, the power actually comes from your back leg, your acceleration comes from your hips and your grounding. Without grounding there is nothing and without moving there is nothing. So it's the combination of, of, of balance, mobility, grounding and where you put your weight and that and doing fencing, doing fencing um, well and not just rushing through things really does help um, in terms of mobility and I'm a testament to that yeah. uh, sort of I fenced well you just all over the place yes because I'm short I have to move yeah. um, and and the sort of plodding along that lots of other people do I think that is one of the, the things another aspect that from my competitive fencing as a, as a coach competitive coach that that I can at value, especially my specific thing, which is sports psychology and uh, psychology of optimum performance. I think that is something can really help um, understanding the emotional thing. I know one of, I haven't read it yet, but one of my books that I'm on my bookshelf, I read the first thing is Fear the Mind Killer. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know you, you okay. can use them as, as well. 
Uh, Absolutely brilliant book. Fear is a Mind Killer by Kaya Sadowski is what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the Do you know the very first line in that book? I know it off by heart. You know. <laughs> I know the very the first line in that book. I am so proud of this. This is like one of my top claims to fame ever. The first line in that astonishingly good book is: "This book would not exist without Guy Windsor," and that's because I sort of pushed Kaya into writing it. I was like. Yes, I am immortal. I am in Kaya's book. Great book. Cold and windy night, you have Kaya Windsor. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you immortalize. But, it, 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 but the philosophy, yeah. <laughs> but that philosophy is me. Um, yeah. I, I, I have had such a journey. Um, this, this academy has been my... Yeah, my learning about myself, learning about life. I threw myself into this and I've learned so much. And I'm just learning now how much I've got to offer, having the confidence to actually I know shit. <laughs> and I've got lot right. to I've got a lot to share. So in terms of help that specific skill set where of a competitive uh, sports fencer has got a lot to do. Can, it can offer a lot to, mm. oh, this is a cool thing. And well, it's, it's about, you know, this is a martial art. This is about emotions at a, at a, another level. You've got the, the, the footwork on the one level on the ground and the other level is the head, the emotions, how to manage the emotions. Mm. Another, um, yeah, combat psychology. I was, I've so also what, been in what the army. Yeah, in the, I was a medic in the army. I've been in that as well. Um, so yes, it's about emotions. And another thing is the uh, technical thing, uh, tactics. Um, I'm not very strong tech, technically speaking, and that's not my. So I've got a cat here who's now woken up. That's right. And um, goes through things, but it's the understanding, um, like the German school, the the sense of timing, you know, and the before and the after. I mean, I think in sports fencing has a very special yeah understanding of that if you understand if you understand the the sense of timing um, okay and so going back to the psychology what mm. would what would you say um, can you give us like one specific example of things historical martial artists could do for example at a tournament or in some other situation um, to perform better so what they could, something specific yeah. from psychology uh, that mm -hmm. would help them. Um, performing in front, that's why I also look at a company. Yeah, I've, I'm more martial arts oriented nowadays, more on martial arts than for Fihima, the martial arts side rather than competition side. Mm -hmm. And yet the competition or the tournament is an extremely valuable tool for pressure testing. Um, yeah. In terms of that, uh, your last thing you've done, the Lord, um, that workshop you did. Lord Baltimore's Challenge, America, yeah. That, I think, is an extremely useful thing from, any, uh, from an emotional perspective. How to manage your emotions in that context. Um, for one of the I suppose the things to handle competition is about, I would say to my students, uh, the KISS principle. Keep it simple. 
<laughs> short and simple, stupid, or keep it simple. Yeah. Do yeah. not make it complicated in a in a pressure situation. Depend on the training fundamentals. Don't overcomplicate things. Keep it very simple. Yeah. Um, I was very proud of my students. I know it's distracting. Yesterday, when we did this death row challenge, we were just doing the the knee, the head thing. Don't react to the defend for the knee. Uh, counterattack. Fundamental stuff. Counterattack. Yeah. And he did it. <laughs> Every Excellent. single time. Get uh, get to your opponent on an emotional level. Get them scared. Get them reacting. And then they're at the end of a string. Yeah. Get your ah, opponent yeah. reacting. Okay. Yes, I would agree. Um, so it's it's often the case that people think that sort of mainstream historical martial arts, like us in Europe, America, whatever, have a lot to teach those in the colonies. But it's actually, I think, more useful to flip that around um, and ask, what do you think the mainstream historical martial arts in Europe, America, whatever, could learn from what's going on in South Africa? What can you learn? Sure. Um, improvise. Uh, okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be always formal. Um, you know, on the one level, uh, it must be fun. But I think the one thing that you've always got to be very, well, that I'm conscious of is safety. So, um, we have limited resources. We have a very limited uh, public exposure, part of our awareness. Um, so, we've got to be out there. We've got to be out in the community. We've got to be talking it until people would absolutely kill us. Can you, can you please stop talking about swords? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah you, I've got to, really got to sell and push. Um, but improvising is really important, you know, because to grow, you need the base. It's, it's, it's chicken and egg. You need to get the base out and not to be elitist. Um, equip, like, I was seeing one of your podcasts with armor, a number of your podcasts in armor. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, and we do also have people that do, uh, in a harness fechten. We do have people that like that, but we very bloss fechten. That's my thing. And not just pad it up. Make becomes um, now you got padded up. Now you are an armored knight. You know I'm very much still. You're just doing this for protection. But if uh, if we want to broaden it, and survival is having a base um, depends on it. You need to, in a sense, popularize it. Um, okay. You know the big popular is the sort of Star Wars and Jedi. It's it's bigger than I believe in Hema. Even in South Africa, the amount of Lightsaber, ten thousand rand is out there. It's far more than than Hema compatible or 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 Western swords. It's it it's mad, popular. isn't it? It's like it's like there's lightsaber dueling yeah. is massively popular, and people spend huge amounts of money on their training gear. Whereas historical martial arts, we we're, we're sort of trailing in the equipment stakes and trailing in the level of of money people are willing to drop on it. It's weird. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's really... So when, when a movie comes out, um, no matter how bad it is, 
<laughs> Night's Tale, for example, I remember you. Uh, or or uh, The Last Duel, some terrible things. Um, oh, God, yes. Yes, Ouch. exactly. Um, but something comes out, the popularizing thing, even Star Wars popularizes things. Within my, um, so before COVID, we had teams named after the Musketeers. And yep. I would have foam sabers for the games and battles and whatever. Now it's the, it's the Jedi and the Sith. So we have pool noodles with duct tape handles. And, uh, one is the Jedi and the, and the Sith. And I put all the naughty boys in the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> but no, not necessarily, but I tease them that you're the Sith because you're naughty. But just make it simple, somehow, uh, accessibility and, and make it, um, both in the popular culture, but also in, in language that people understand. And um, we've tried in school with HEMA. I've got one boy in his late teens that he's passionate about HEMA. And I said, I don't teach um, kids, so it's under 18s, uh, in our adult club. That's a strictly adult club, uh, so that we can have, you know, as adult socials and things. But within the kids that did one term, I said, you must do fencing first. And he did. And he goes and comes, he wins against adults in a tournament where he can participate in. But he's sure. got the foundation. I can see the results. He's hard. He does HEMA formally. Uh, and then we're doing um, Red Dragon Backswords tournaments. That's our main, uh, what we mainly do. And he does well without doing any actual HEMA. But uh, just because <coughs> he has got a mind, he is doing, he has, he is doing boxing and well, that's that's the thing. Like if you have if you have a background in any kind of competitive sport like fencing or boxing or anything like that, you are likely to do pretty well in historical martial arts tournament because the actual historical martial arts bit isn't terribly relevant for winning the tournament. Correct. Right? It's not, and and you know the styles that we learned from I don't know fifteenth century manuscripts have not been designed for winning twenty first century friendly tournaments. Right, that's a different thing. <laughs> so, so it's it's unsurprising to me that a decent sport fencer can just show up and do well. And actually, that's one of the reasons why when I opened my school, I mean, I was mostly a small sword person, but when I opened my school in two thousand one, I went with long sword as the primary sort of starter weapon for everyone, primarily so that sport fencers would not confuse what I was with what I was doing with what they were doing, right? Because you can't, you, you can kind of mistake a foil for a small sword, but you can't mistake a foil for a long sword. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's actually how I ended up, you know, really getting sucked into the whole Fiore thing is because I needed to differentiate what I was doing with what the sport fences were doing. Um, I see. Yeah. So yeah, we went, yeah. So our, um, uh, the, the adult club, the Table Mountain Fencing Hema Club, which is based in Newlands, um, the primary weapon is longsword, and we've gone German. Um, okay. Partly because of the accessibility that, and Mayer, so, so my assistant that does the most of the instructing, he loves Mayer, partly because it's accessible in terms of our understanding of it. Um, it's a sports version of longsword, essentially. Um, yeah, so that's our understanding. It's a sports version of longsword, directly in the okay. manuscript. Yeah, I mean, they, they do exist. But again, it's still not 
adapted for a modern tournament. It yeah. may be, and you know, there's this sort of trope in historical martial arts that the long sword in Maya is a sport fencing style, and that's not strictly accurate. It's yeah. yeah, there's there's lots more going on there, and again, it's also a mistake I think to treat the different weapons sections of Maya as separate things. It's like, this is the art of arms and here it is applied with a dusak, here it is applied with a rapier, here it is applied with a longsword for these particular contexts and so on. But I think you need to have the whole book to make sense of any part of it. That's my view. Um, but let's, let's, let me throw my favourite question at you, uh, <laughs> which is, what is the best idea you haven't acted on yet? Hmm. Uh... Well, I'm living what what I had dreamed about uh, and then got that vision. So I've done... Yeah, you acted on it. Yeah, you've done it. <laughs> Fair enough. But, 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 but. <laughs> um, writing. Um, I used okay. to write a lot. And I have, you know, I used to be very academic. Okay. And I haven't, you know, when I was 20 years ago, I was going to write this children's book, like a... Come, um, coming age book for kids like an inspirational book that's gone off um but more recently especially during the COVID era where uh is to get my blog going i have a blog in theory but it's more about um rankings and points and systems rather than what my lessons so okay yeah it's to get my blog going finally to actually to be a, a functional blog and then to write a book based on that um, what's, a bit what's like the book my about? version of Fear is the Mind Killer. <laughs> okay. So what, what is what is the book going to be based on? It's like a sports psychology applied to historical martial arts or? That kind of thing. I think is sort of, it's, I'm still, okay. I have to brew a bit longer before I can do it. So you want uh, to use the blog as a way of, of sort of trying out bits of, that may, may end up in the book and maybe getting some feedback on this particular chapter and, and then eventually correct. you'll have you'll have most of a book already written on your blog and then you just have to kind of edit it and craft it into the actual book. That's, that's, that's a good way to do idea. it. That's been the idea the last two years. Well... So what, what's <laughs> stopping you? What's stopping you? <laughs> what's stopping you, the writer? Uh, <laughs> it was a big part of me. I used to do newsletters every single week and it's all just stopped. Mm. Survival. I think that's... It, um, it's got so tough the last 10 years here. <laughs> Your incarnations. Okay. <laughs> um, that, that doesn't actually what's answer my question. So what's what's stopping you from writing the book? Yeah, what's stopping me? Um, I think, you know, the I think the fear of when I put something down that it's in print and then it's there and it's out there. Um, even, a, even a blog. I've got friends that have written uh, fantasy novels and done all sorts of things. But uh, it's something I haven't done yet. Um, okay. And, and so you're you you're afraid of you're afraid of judgment. Excuse me, I didn't quite get that. Is, is it that you're afraid of judgment? Yeah, I, I think so. I think okay. Uh, I think that is a, a thing, and that's something it's, the blog is a safer way of getting it out there. Just to start off, um, you know, I used to do it. It's now getting. Hmm. Yeah, the, the lessons that I've learned. It's been when I talk about like 
how I handle COVID. Uh, I think talking about I've taught HEMA online, not just a video, but actually live. Um, yeah, me too. As, it's horrible. I hate doing it. It's like it was necessary in COVID, but it is an awful way to teach. I hate it, it so was, much. <laughs> even up to last year, because I we we had established this national group um, from. Bloemfontein, which is around the middle of the country, to mm -hmm. Durban, uh, uh, to PE, and then some little towns from all over. Um, it, it dwindled a lot. In the last quarter, I was doing rapier, followed by <coughs> you, <laughs> following your course. Uh, oh, excellent. Also, Good. Of course. I've, and um, I've got to get up and show you some things I've got here. But, um, and just keeping it very simple. Uh, um, I'm pedantic I'm you know at, at a sort of a introductory beginner level uh, I am very you know yeah go things properly um, and rather use and if it's preparing for competition use apply what you've learned and don't try to be creative in the situation just apply what you've learned so I'm in the plate 7 plate 16 and yeah. The different options. Every option. That's every, the core of it. That's the core of your program, but um, and I just love it because that's the game. Cavazioni and all of that, and yeah, I have and a the, thought for you. Both sides and the I have a thought reactions for you, right. to it. you have. Yeah, you have you have students, right? And the students actually pay you for your opinion. Agreed. Okay. Yes. So. Rather than writing your blog or your book for the world, just write for one student who needs to know the thing that you are currently writing about, right? And you put it online for Thank that you. student to read because it's, it's con a convenient way of getting it to that student. And if that student finds it useful, it is therefore by definition successful and you don't have to care what anybody who stumbles upon it might think. So that way, you're just writing for the one student who you know will find it useful. That 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 mental framing might help it's get a you very past that fear of judgment. Because that ties in with my mentoring of these three guys, um, right? And precisely because it's it's that it's the succession yeah. planning. It's this this phase we're going into now, building something beyond me, and having that blog directs it. Yeah. So maybe maybe just write it for them. And yep. if other people happen to like it, great. And if they don't like it, well, so what? It's not for them. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. So so maybe in a year's time or so, the book will be in first draft. And maybe a year after that, we'll be, we'll be coming back on the show to talk about your new book. <laughs> it happens to people, I believe. <laughs> it does. Um, okay. So... Last question. Somebody gives you a million dollars, which is something like, I don't know, is that 10 million rand or something? Oh, it's a lot more um, nowadays. Our currency to, to spend... is horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> it's around yeah. 18, uh, 18 million rand. Oh, geez. Mm. Okay, to spend improving historical yep. martial arts worldwide, how would you spend the money? Well, part of my hats in a previous life was in the tourism industry and catering. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to have a, I think, keep it simple, don't get too dreamy, a uh, permanent base. But not just a permanent base for ourselves, but for 
that there's also accommodation. So it's like a backpackers. So that we can, yep. we need guest instructors. We've had a number of the years. Um, James used to be the host of them. He would organize them. Some, um, um, uh, uh, Bob Brooks has come to Cape Town, met him, wonderful guy. And yeah, I love Bob. Just, yeah, absolutely. I was wonderful and going to the pub with him is quite scary. But go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Bob. <laughs> so, you know, we can do it. But just having a, a base where we can have visiting, and not only, South Africa is big. So having a base of people from, you know, we've got, you know, I've been involved in helping a group start in, in Port Elizabeth, now called Kopeja, <laughs> um, stimulate starting group in Bloemfontein and some other two, and two towns, helping sort of focusing rapier in, in Durban, having a base where they can stay, um, as, as yeah. a, a backpacker back, okay. with a hall. When, when I was living in Finland and I had my mm -hmm. sal, um, we didn't have a sort of backpackers hostel next to it. But so I didn't advertise or charge for accommodation, but it was generally understood, even though it was technically illegal, it was generally understood that students who were visiting from wherever um, could bring a sleeping bag and sleep in the hall. And we had students coming from Singapore, from Chile, from, you know, from all over the world came. Mm. And because they have free accommodation, right, it just made the whole thing a lot more affordable. And there was a kitchen and a washing machine and a bathroom with a shower and everything. So they could actually, st I mean, one guy stayed in the south for about six months. Wow. Basically well, living, living the martial arts dream, <laughs> as it were. And, and it's great. Mm. It's, it, and it makes such a difference to what you can do and who can then afford to come to, to these things. Because, you know, right. flying flying to a foreign country for a one-day seminar is probably not a good investment. But, but if you can stay for two or three weeks and get two or three weeks of fairly intense training, then at all for the same cost of flights, that's a lot, a lot better proposition. So yeah, so I think it's a great idea. Create a center, make sure that people can stay there if they need to. Absolutely, I think Absolutely. you should just get it done. And to and for for visiting from around the country, but also internationally, we've had a yeah. number of visitors to our club from America, from I think it was from mm -hmm. Sweden or Denmark, I can't remember which. But um, we've had people Germany, Holland, yeah, and to um, help. So so, so what stop? So, I mean, you don't need 18 million rand to do this. I didn't have 18 million rand when I started my school. Um, the rent on my first sale was 800 euros a month in 2001. So it was a lot of money and it was more than I could afford, but I did it anyway. Um, and it, it worked out. It's, it's might be added to those things of ideas that haven't been acted upon yet that are achievable. Yeah. That definitely are achievable and I have you know when I was in Holland and I have studied in tourism uh, and um, and I do have some international contacts um, ooh, this is a very talkative cat <laughs> yeah, but okay. um, yeah so it, it, it is possible and and you know we have a mountain uh, we have got some yes. very nice city uh, to, uh, to visit and do things as well have um, and Stellenbosch is coming on very nicely uh, in terms of the HEMA, we do have swordsmiths. Right. So um, you should just do it. You, you so need that to is just something do it. that 
that is definitely achievable. Um, yeah, just do it. But um, money is tight. Uh, and I, also yeah. having bursaries, bursaries, having just making achievable. Um, it, it's possible. We still, you know, we we have fees, but some other groups there are no or no fees just to make HEMA possible. Because the, even so, we having we have a quarterly tournament started again. A HEMA, a COVID era thing. We mm-hmm. don't want it in the hall. We go outside. So we've got a park right next door. And we have a tournament outside, and it's growing, Excellent. and uh, invites all over the country, and it's happening. We uh, fairly simple rule sets. We base in backsword. That's another one of the things I would do. What can sports fencing teach Hema would be simplified rule sets and fairly consistent. Is that you can train? Although this is more the sports part of Hema. Mm-hmm. Um, I see the sport part as more of a way of testing the training rather than the way around. But it yeah. is a way of um, having consistency that your training is is towards a particular goal. And having a consistent rule set around the world helps. Helps. Okay. And that's what... So what, but let's, let's get back on topic. What, mm-hmm. what really is stopping you from finding a space and renting it and making it available as a historical martial arts training hall. What's stopping well, I've done it? I've done it before. <laughs> right, uh, there you go. I've done it for a year and I took it on me because it's Saul Wagenfeld. So the okay. Dutch pronunciation is Wagenfeld and South African is very nasal Wagenfeld. <laughs> okay. England, you Wagenfeld. Um, yeah, so I took it on as a Saul. Uh, in conjunction with judo, so we karate, okay. we did it together, yeah. and that was when I got to my team to national level. It it was very expensive, and it broke my bank. I didn't ah, didn't okay. I didn't have enough, enough people. I took it on me personally. It right. What's happening now is I'm building. We are establishing an in um, NPO where I'm part. Yeah. I'm the uh, the head of it currently. Where there's a team, including the the head of the fencing group, the head of the, the HEMA group, um, mm-hmm. a guy from Stellenbosch that travels, who likes making staffs and star fighting, and mm-hmm. we're getting various pe- people in. And I think the the solution, the next step is to get this going and to make it financially viable, uh, more viable, and then more skills, bigger group of people with different skills that can make this happen. Um, Whereas okay. I've got a specific, uh, maybe my skill set wasn't aligned to making this financially sustainable. Uh, okay. So people. next time, next, so when you come on the show in a couple of years' time to talk about your new book, you can tell us all about your new sale at the same time. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's ex- there are exciting times, you know, and yeah, and, and it's grown because of the COVID era. The forced to go online. Um, and we were very creative. At the beginning, it was about comparing uh, beer recipes, pineapple beer recipes, and in South Africa, you know, we had right. very stringent regulations, no alcohol. So we had all these pineapple beer <laughs> <laughs> experimentations. But it, it, it created, and we had started this um, uh, WhatsApp group, and we're growing the foundation for HEMA. It's okay. still early days. Yeah, and actually, I mean, 
there have been silver linings to the pandemic. And you know, this podcast probably would not exist if we hadn't had COVID. Um, I'd have been too busy traveling around, you know, teaching seminars and whatnot to even think about it. Yes. But because I was stuck at home and I thought, hmm, I think I think that my sword people are probably missing going to the sal and talking about swords with their friends. Why don't I start a podcast where they can hear people talking about swords like they would if they went to their club? That was part of the, like, this, this actually might be useful for people. And it was because everyone was stuck at home on their own that I thought this might be a particularly good way to do it. Um, so... Yeah, so fingers crossed your your internet conversion post-pandemic will give you the base that you need to start this this yeah. historical martial arts center. Excellent. We're growing the community and, and import before, you know, I import equipment now. Yeah. We didn't have enough people to. Now we're growing. Excellent. And I'm stocking equipment with a small, small margin, very small. It's not profitable yet sure. but to be able to go to the sal and get the chinese masks and get um red dragon uh, sword we have now thing red dragon gloves another one of your pet hates i know <laughs> horrible things Completely but they made it accessible well but you don't even need them Ow. no <laughs> Parry. <laughs> well, I got a nice blue. This is a week old, and that is from we've been doing Bolognese recently. I love it. Right. And yeah. and it was it said, Well, that's what I tell people too. You got hit or sore. Then don't get hit. Move. Yeah. Parry. <laughs> yes. Also Footwork. Exactly. Blade work. <laughs> well, exactly. So so that is the thing. Um but we are well, my philosophy is very less protection. And more self-control, yeah, and defensive. I would agree. Strong technique, moving. Don't just stand there and get hit, and your batting takes it up. Move, <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> it doesn't always work. <laughs> no, 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 because your opponent can move too. Well, yeah, um, well, exactly. But if, if they're up to it, but you but you wear equipment so that your partner can hit you. So if you're yeah. not wearing the equipment, you don't get hit. Exactly. So, if it's done properly. Uh, yeah. So, so I can. So, things are really looking up, and and you know we are isolated here in South Africa. Um, you know what you've just been to, you know, Lord Baltimore thing. Lord Baltimore's uh, challenge in 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 Baltimore and United States. And, yeah. Fantastic. We've got a tournament coming up just over a month's time, and I'm looking at how I can tweak things five weeks time. I'm a good competition organizer. One of before becoming a coach, that's what I used to do. Um, mm-hmm. in, in fencing and there's something that, that I can do and the points and the rankings and all that sort of thing and um, just having that feedback immediate I think it's incredible I think that's, that's wonderful I think what you that opportunity and um, but how do you get that balance between the the training for training's sake and testing it the testing is, is really important that it becomes, isn't just about the competitions for competitions yeah. own sake but then there's there's lots of different ways to test, and competition is just one of those ways. Um, there, are, I mean, <clears throat> another another way to test is you restrict the allowed equipment. Uh, sorry, you restrict the allowed techniques, and you go for intensity and fatigue. And when the students are very fatigued, 
they start to make mistakes and it kind of mimics it, it mimics the kind of other stresses that you can experience and so if you can do it when you feel like you're going to throw up in your mask and everything hurts but you can still parry and strike properly then you've probably learned something mm-hmm that's similar to one of your guests who would train in armor and through the visor up and visor and then Polish guy. Yeah. yeah. I've been right. to Poland about three times. Yeah, it's a lovely place. Yeah. And um, with, a, with a sports tour in 2010, fencing, and in Krakow, the, the kids were joking, the boys were saying, you, we've seen you being, uh, you've seen us being humiliated, now we're going to see you. Go and go to the Hema Club there. I don't, I can't remember his name. It was in Krakow. And it was rapier, it was Spanish style. And I was actually perfectly fine. And they were all, we didn't get humiliated. And my first. (laughs) 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 It was lovely. Very, a very rigid um, forte and uh, flexible Diable. Yeah, I think you pronounce it Diable. And um, yeah, yeah, the pronunciation of this always. Tongue twister. Um, yeah, and then my first ever experience of Polish saber was there too. Um, wow, well, Polish saber in Poland is the real thing. Yeah, and yeah, it's a great way to get yourself turned into mincemeat. When it said parry is <laughs> curved, it's not the same. When the yes, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> With seriously nasty blades, and and the other experience of Hema was in yeah when I went to Poznan at contact yeah. the international competition. And before the competition, between each final, they had a display, choreographed uh, Slavic Viking era, sort of Slavic fight. Oh, cool. And then they had a long sword fight, and then they had a uh, sort of hussar type saber, body saber. Mm-hmm. That's something that can be done, you know, again, get it out in public. In between each final, between the different categories, they had a display. And then in this hall, um, around in the display area outside they had children's um like painting shields thing and they had a um a living history ex- exposed um and then they had guys dressed you know within in in armor and some swords which looked like chainsaws there were so many long crossbows <laughs> long crossbows yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> and I, a little seen... injury and just stuck more yeah. toilet paper on it and blah 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 you know just kept going <laughs> It's the Polish way. <laughs> Polish way. So I've had experiences before. Yeah, they've been stepping stones, and um, but those again, they brought him right into the, the, the sports fencing consciousness. It was right there. That's a great. Uh, idea. I think that was. Yeah. That's an important lesson, and mustn't it should be right there. Excellent. Well. Um, we've covered quite a lot of ground. So uh, thanks so much for day, uh, for joining me today, David. It's been lovely to meet you. Oh, guys, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Guy. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find transcriptions, photos, videos, and links for this episode. While you are there, you can sign up for my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my Sword Persons Care Package. This includes four ebooks and access to several of my online courses. And remember, go to swordpeople.com to join the only troll-free online community for sword people. I'd like to thank the people who make this show possible, my patrons on Patreon. It takes time and money to run a podcast, and without them, I would have quit long ago. You can join us at patreon.com forward slash the sword guy for behind-the-scenes content, 
to suggest future guests and priority access to my inbox. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. I'd also like to thank Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents that adorn the show originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. And remember, swordschool.shop for the amazing Sword School year planner that has just dropped. I'm sure you want one. Join us next time when I'll be talking to Alex Evans, who has an MA in Historical Performance from the Peabody Institute at Johns Hopkins University. She's a professional performer and teacher of historical music, the founder of Falsa Musica, and, every now and then, has been known to fence with rapier. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show, and if you have an extra minute, leave a review. Most importantly, of course, if you've particularly enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Thanks for listening, and I will see you soon. Thank you.